And I think that the church has to be really careful. I think in the progressive spaces, there can be a temptation to mirror some of the stuff I saw in conservative spaces growing up, which is to like, think that the way that we're going to bring God's kingdom is if we can gain institutional power and political structures, we start betting all of our chips on that strategy. And I think there's idolatry um, lurking everywhere there if we're not careful. So I Mm. think it's really high stakes, right? Um, But I don't think because it's high stakes, we get to opt out of it. And I think playing it safe has created church spaces that have nothing to say to the real world right now. Mm. And especially has created church spaces that leave marginalized people really abandoned by their sisters and brothers who enjoy enough privilege to not understand why the world needs to get better. Tell me what made us think that we could keep others away in the name. We're knocking the rust off, right? Haven't recorded anything in a while, but we're here together. Thank you for downloading. By the way, this is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I am Seth, your host. I realize that there is something that I am not very good at telling people, and so I wanted to put that right at the beginning here. There is a transcript of this show. It is in the show notes. It's also on the website at canisaythisatchurch.com. And there's a transcript for pretty much every show. Tell a friend. Use that if you need it. Now, a listener of the show recently uh, sent me a message and said, Hey, I think that you and this pastor at South Bend City Church, Jason Miller, who's the guest today, could have a good conversation and... They were not wrong. So, Miranda, thank you. And I'll also say, if there is someone or something that you want discussed or spoken about, shoot me an email. Head over to the website, shoot me an email. Let me know. I mean, yeah, let's go. You you all know way more people than I do. But had Jason on, and I really liked the convo. I loved I love what Jason is doing and his team there and the congregation there. I think that he is beginning or trying to model a way to do church uh, in a way that ensures that church is still a thing uh, for my kids and maybe my kids' kids. And it's an evolution of a way to approach community. And I like it. So here we go. Let's roll it. Jay Miller, welcome to the podcast. Um, we did it. We made it on uh, what? What did it take? Seventy-two hours, eighty-six hours to plan this. We're professionals. Yeah, this was a quick turnaround. I was impressed. Professionals. Well, I only have so many days off work. You alluded to it earlier, but I get really busy on most days. So on those days that I have off, jam everything in there. Jam it in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate that because I, t- I tend to get lost in the process if things take too long and then I just end up accidentally ghosting people. So I'm glad we got to it. <laughs> accidentally ghosting people. That's not a thing. That's a band name. <laughs> accidentally ghosting people. So, um, Well, what do you want people to know about you when people say, hey, 
who and what are you? What do you answer to that? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the person and the context, but I guess for this conversation, um, I'm a part of a community called South Bend City Church. Uh, we've been at it for about five years. I live in South Bend, Indiana, um, the home of Mayor Pete, who recently uh, hmm. ran for president, and also the home of uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who recently became Supreme Court Justice right here in our little our little town of South Bend. Yeah. Look at you. Isn't South Bend where Notre Dame is? It is. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Barrett was a law professor there, and uh, hmm. Pete's parents taught in Notre Dame. So there you go. Yeah. So you are, have been a sub subjugate subject sub <laughs> of mayor Pete. How did he do as a mayor? Uh, mostly people around here were really happy with him. Yeah. Um, he, he did a round table with clergy, uh, every month. So he'd kind of cycle through local pastors, rabbis, the imam. And so we had a little bit of proximity there. I, locally, I was always really impressed with him. Yeah. I thought he seemed like a really thoughtful guy and uh, South Bend's been through a real turnaround in the last decade. Yeah. Uh, 10 years ago, Newsweek magazine called South Bend the ninth most dying city in America. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like <laughs> what <list>. a title. <laughs> yeah, that stung a little bit, you know. But what it did is it kind of rallied the troops. Now a whole bunch of us were like, not on our watch. And so Pete was a good kind of morale booster, standard bearer for the community. I can't imagine being that editor at Newsweek, being like, yeah. all right, guys, pitch me the stories. And the guy says, I want to talk about the top 10 most dying cities in America. <laughs> I want to take cities that are already struggling yeah. and just crap on yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the editor would be like, well, like who, you know? And then he just starts <laughs> random. And, and you know, like South Bend. Oh yeah, South Bend, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Run the article, yeah. run the article. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. So this is going to bother me if I don't ask it. For people yeah. that aren't patron support subscribers, they won't see it. Why is this room so empty? Or, or, <laughs> or it's maybe it's a fake Zoom background because it looks like 50 feet away from you. What is going on here? I get that question all the time. Um, in fact, those two bookshelves that your supporters can see, I put those there because it was just a cinder block wall and I was tired of people making fun of me. I had a friend, <laughs> I'd always do Zoom meetings and he would ask me to hold up a copy of today's newspaper to prove that I was a hostage. <laughs> he was still alive. Uh, no, I just, honestly, man, like I, um, I, this, I have a little more square footage than I need where I live and I just can't stand the idea of just filling space to fill space with stuff. Mm. So... I'm at my, this is my like lower level work area and uh, I got my desk. I got some resources and yeah, I'm pretty good. So you enjoy the, the t 37 yard pace <laughs> behind you so that you can think about your thoughts before you get the book that you need to come back. That's how I keep the blood flowing. Yeah. A little calisthenics. Yeah. That's how he writes this sermon. What you can't see is directly below your shoulders. There is just no carpet there. It's just, <laughs> it's just from, from, from the pacing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, good. So a listener of the show put us in connection with one another. We spoke briefly. I can't even remember what day last week. Um, and on that, you had said a possible topic, and I like it. Something, And, and I'm going to paraphrase, so forgive me if I do it wrong. Um, something about what is it like to try to be in an, a church that is intentionally trying to create a place for people to say things that normally you don't are, are yeah. not allowed to say at church. You know, am I saying that right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that then is South Bend Church. That's what you're telling me. It's what we're aiming for, for sure. Yeah. So what is that? What does that look yeah. like compared to like the normal church that people get, you know, dressed up for? This is how I usually dress up for church, but whatever. You know, get dressed up yeah. and they go, what is the differences there? How do you intentionally go about doing something like that? Yeah. A little bit of background, maybe. And then maybe a few ways that we try to live it out. Um, so I, uh, I've worked in church my whole adult life. Um, and at the same time, I had some theological mentors. Like I did undergrad at a Christian college where I had a theology professor who in particular was really 
he was the kind of person that you just knew was never going to be offended by a question. You can go to his office and talk about anything. You didn't feel like he was towing the party line. So I had, I had a friend and mentor like that. And then I, you know, I got, got to go to grad school at Notre Dame and Notre Dame was a, a more theologically diverse environment. It was really rigorous. It was a place where like there, there wasn't really anything you couldn't talk about or explore. So I had all those experiences while I was working at church. And I realized a bunch of my friends had pretty much given up on church. And it wasn't because they'd given up on faith or were uninterested in God. And it wasn't because they were flaky or just like too selfish to give their time to it. It was really because there was such a, such a disconnect between their actual questions and their actual life with God. And then what was like happening in church spaces. And I think I felt kind of um, selfish that I had had the advantage of some of these kind of privileged spaces where there was no question that was um, out of bounds. And I got, I got to work some stuff out and I realized these friends of mine, all they had anymore was frankly podcasts like yours. Like, you know, that, that was the one space they were able to turn to where they could kind of like have wow. a, a, even like a digital partner, even if it's not a real relationship to kind of work through some of these questions, you know? So that, that was an early thing that like really kind of bothered me. Um, it was like, if, I were, if we're going to start a church, I, I'm not, I can't do it. I'm, I'm not going to put my life and my heart into another space where there's all of these sacred cows and sort of weird, arbitrary lines drawn. Um, I just, I just don't want to do it. So that, that was like an impulse as we got started. I'll also say, I feel like there's kind of like two big kind of categories of things that we feel like we couldn't talk about. One was stuff that you might just kind of call like theological or doctrinal. Like, can you talk about the fact that the church has actually understood salvation in a lot of different ways over the last 2000 years? Or is that allowed? Right. So that's kind of like theological doctrinal. The other stuff, which I also think is theological and doctrinal, but you might also call it like real issue stuff, right? Uh, sexuality, inclusion, race, um, the ways the world is breaking um, politically and otherwise like that, that other stuff too. Like, mm -hmm. can we talk about that stuff? And I, again, I think that's also theological, but it feels more kind of contemporary. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so going into the church space, um, we did a few things out of the gate to try to like drive that home. Uh, one is we, we instituted a practice that we've held onto ever since. That's just an open floor where uh, probably once a month we open up the room and we'll ask a question or a prompt and anybody in the room can speak. And I think because we've done it from the very beginning when we were small enough and we were kind of scrappy enough that people didn't feel like there was much risk involved. Mm -hmm. I think out of the gate, people felt like they could really push some stuff there. Uh, we also like, there's a guy named Peter Rollins, who's a, an Irish philosopher who talks a lot about doubt. And he has a very kind of radical and unexpected interpretation of, of the Christian story. And for our second experimental gathering, we just, we brought Peter out from LA and we just like set him loose in the room and just had him do, he's a very kind of disruptive, subversive thinker. And I think having him at the very beginning also kind of set a tone that if this is the kind of community where a guy like Peter Rollins can say the things that he thinks, then this is probably going to be the kind of place where you can say the things that you think. Mm. And then 2018, we made a clarification on our, our stance around um, sexuality and inclusion, um, where South and City Church is a place where people can kind of access every level of our life together, including like leadership and marriage and staffing, regardless of where they land on a sexual identity spectrum or gay marriage. So uh, yeah, th those are some pieces in play. And I think my other job is to be the guy who says it first sometimes, right? <laughs> like if you're the lead pastor, like if, if, if you're afraid to say things and ask things and, and be honest about things, well, then nobody else is going to feel comfortable. Right. But I think the other pieces, and frankly, when you're like a founder lead pastor, you kind of have a level of permission. Maybe that I think my job is to use it, you know? Yeah. Well, you also know the corporate structure and the bylaws of what you can and can't do. And so, you yeah, know, right. where all the cracks are, you're like, well, I'm going to wedge myself in here. 
That's right. And yeah, that's right. I wrote it. So um, <laughs> that's passive aggressive and probably not true. But um, but there's also that part of I, I do know what I can and can't get away with because I helped draft the way that we're governed. Um, yeah. And you, and you start from the beginning, making sure that the other leaders that you bring around you are on board with that, too. Yeah. So let's back up a bit. So that's yep. what you're doing now. Um, and there was mm-hmm. a lot there. Where yep. did you begin? Like, so where did you begin in faith? Like, what is you said you were struggling with questions. I think you said that. And then you, you, you had the ability to process that at Notre Dame. Um, so where were you before all that, like theologically? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in uh, Churches of Christ, Christian churches, um, you know, small kind of conservative, largely rural congregations. Parents were always really invested in that. Like my dad was always like an elder at church. Mom was like on the worship team. And these were churches that they were autonomous. You know, they didn't have like a creed per se. They would have just said, we, you know, we believe the Bible. And I remember we, we moved around a fair amount growing up. And I think in middle school, I asked my parents one time when we moved, I just said like, Hey, how do we pick a church? I was just kind of curious. Like, it seems like every time we move, we kind of look around a little bit and then we land somewhere. And I remember my parents saying like, well, we, you know, we try to go to a church that like teaches the Bible. And so I, like, I think in middle school, I was like, Don't Man, they this all? Book, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> and apparently this book is like a big deal for our family. Like we, you know, we make, you know, whatever church we're going to be a part of ends up being a place where we spend a lot of time and energy and so like, I remember, um, I'm, I'm also kind of intrinsically bookish. And so I remember like thinking I should probably read the Bible. So this is like middle school, early high school, where I think like a lot of people, the first time I really started reading the thing cover to cover, like that's when the cracks started forming in the edifice of a certain version of faith. Mm. Cause I think when you actually read the thing cover to cover and try to figure out how all the pieces fit together and wonder like, wh- why do we, you know, make a big deal out of some verses and ignore others and you know, all that. Um, pretty quickly, it felt like the emperor is not wearing any clothes. You know, the, the, the idea like, oh, we do the biblical thing, but I'm reading the book cover to cover and nobody's explaining to me how we leave some of this behind and carry some of it forward. Um, so I'd say more than anything, it was like an encounter with scripture yeah. uh, at the beginning that really kind of complicated things for me. Yeah. And then along the way, probably the other two other encounters that really complicated things for me were... Um, a uh, family member who's gay, a couple years older than me, and watching just how painful it was for him to navigate his own sense of identity and the church. And then also um, for the last 11 years, I spent a fair amount of time overseas in conflict zones, uh, learning from and trying to support uh, people in places that are uh, really racked by overt and violent conflict. Mm. And um, asking myself if my understanding of Jesus or the gospel or my faith had anything meaningful to say to some of the most broken places in the world. Yeah. And the answer 11 years ago was not really. Mm. And so that was the other complicating factor that really required me to kind of go through a, a rediscovery of a, of a different kind of version of, of faith. Yeah. What are some of those prompts? Like what would be an example or an example? Actually, no, before you answer that. So you had alluded to, you had seminary or, or, or graduate work. I'm not, I'm, I'm putting seminary there. Is it, were you at seminary it's at Notre Dame or is it something you know, else? It's just the grad school of theology. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't want to put words in your mouth from, from an assumption. Um, and you had said other people were, are doing it through like podcasts like this one, which honestly is terrifying to hear someone say out loud. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want that responsibility. Um, uh, and I don't think anyone starts a podcast wants that responsibility. And if they do probably in the wrong line of work, <laughs> I think you're right, though. Um, is that a good place to be? Like, I think it serves a purpose, a really good one. I think, um, you know, first of all, for people who are 
carrying a lot of church trauma, a podcast is really safe. And I think there's a season when we're dealing with trauma where safety is the most important thing. Mm. Um, not forever. We have to move out of that at some point, but, yeah. um, I think if you're someplace where you really can't find a flesh and blood community that's um, safe or brave or willing to ask these questions, I think it's better than nothing. Mm. So I think there's some real strength there. You know, I think you miss out on a relationship, um, you know, flesh and blood encounter. Yeah. I think you miss out on being a participant in the community rather than just a, a recipient of its message. Huh. Uh, but I do think there's a, there's a great, purpose for, for like stuff like what you're doing. So what would be some of those prompts? You said you started with prompts. So if I was sitting there at your church, yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, like at, yeah, at my yeah. church, we have a, a discipline of silence at the end of each service, which is one of my favorite parts, like intentionally. And at first it was weird. Um, yeah. and our church was not refounded recently. Like it's one of the oldest churches in the city that I live in. Um, but it's something our pastor did when he came, you know, many years ago and I love it, but it is weird. Uh, and especially for guests, they're like, what do I, what do I do with my hands? Am I praying? I'm not praying. I am praying. I'm not praying. What do I do right now? Um, so what are some of those prompts? Cause I, I like weirdness or things that get you out of a, out of a comfort zone in a service. Like what would, what would an example of that be? Yeah, they're all over the board. A few examples are, um, I taught a series on the book of revelation uh, a couple of years ago and it was just, Hey, when you hear that the preacher is going to talk about the book of revelation, what do you feel? And Nicolai it was, Carpe, I mean, yeah. What's that? Nikolai no, Carpathia. Yeah. It's funny. Nobody else said that. Um, <laughs> but, but the responses were everything from like, um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm physically nervous right now. Mm. Cause I've heard this book preached in such a way that was so terrifying or confusing that, um, I feel like a physical anxiety right now. Somebody, you know, shared like that or, or, you know, kind of funny stuff like, um, they respond, you know, um, I think about the left behind books or whatever, but so it might be like, Hey, we're going here, but first let's check in. How, how are you feeling right now? When you hear that mm. sometimes, um, like before we come to the table for the Eucharist, sometimes we'll do a, a simple exercise of like, uh, what's one or two words for how you're arriving at the table. Like in what state are you coming today? Mm. And that's just an act of like, own it wherever you are. Right. So we might hear words like grateful, thankful, um, frustrated, um, exhausted, mm. you know, just kind of like bring all that out, just kind of emotional honesty. Um, yeah, those are, those are a couple of examples. Hmm. Huh. So how many, how long does that take? Like I find that, yeah, took, I find that fascinating. I want to do that. I'm going to tell Barrett, if you're listening, let's do that. Let's just pick a Sunday and do it and not tell anybody. Um, yeah, it depends. Sometimes every once in a while, it's actually the main event in the gathering. So we're teaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now. We did chapter five for like a couple of months. And when we got to the end of chapter five, we took a whole gathering and just kind of like debriefed chapter five. So there was a, a centerpiece there where it's like reminding everybody kind of what we've done and like, and then a few different kind of prompts. Like, first of all, anybody want to share a highlight from this experience? Anybody want to share a low light? Like, what did you hate about this? Or what did you disagree with? Or what did you find frustrating or stupid or confusing or whatever? So that, that could last, you know, 20 minutes, or it could be as brief as like two or three minutes, like that one word prompt about how mm -hmm. you're arriving. Mm -hmm. huh. And I'll tell you, man, like, I will say like 90% of the time, it's the most beautiful thing that happens in our gatherings. Uh, just cause the level of honesty and truth telling that happens in the room. And then every once in a while it gets a bit weird or somebody kind of rambles and you got to find a gracious way to kind of let them say their piece, but then kind of transition, um, slowly fade the mic down. 
Yeah, yeah, we don't use we don't we don't use mics for that. The room is small enough, thankfully, that we don't have to hand around mics for that. Yeah. So for a church like that, um, it created with intent, I'm, I'm going to say what I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So if a church created intentionally for people to wrestle with hard topics, which that's great, how do you land on things doctrinally? Um, yeah, sure. In a way that people are like, yeah, we believe that. When there's all this other space. Um, I can see how that would work in my mind, but I'm curious how it works for y'all. That's a great question. And it's, um, that's certainly one of the challenges that we've, you know, every model has its, the things that are really easy and strong about it. And then the things that are really messy about it. We would say kind of like officially that we're a Jesus following community. We trust the Bible as it points to Jesus. And that's really important language for us because that sort of specifies what are we asking the Bible to do for us? We're not asking the Bible to like, tell us how to interpret geopolitical warfare vis-a-vis some strange, you know, readings of revelation, for example, we're kind of, Jesus is the center for us. The Bible is here to point us toward Christ. And then we would say we trust the apostles creed as a guiding interpretation of scripture. That's about what we nail down. Like that's where the, the, the tent stakes are. Hmm. Here's the other trick though, is like, I just think that belief is a function. It's less a choice. Like I, the brain, I think the mind is not meant to like, be able to pretend to believe things that it hasn't found credible or that it hasn't experienced. And so I really shy away from saying like, what do like we believe as a community? Like we often say like we're a community of believers and doubters and everybody who's a bit of both. When we clarified our stance on sexuality, I, I pointed out that people always ask me, well, what does South Bend City Church believe about LGBTQ identity and behavior? And I would say like, well, you should ask them. <laughs> <laughs> Like, cause South City Church yeah. is the whole family, right? It's the whole yeah. community. Yeah. And, and you I, speak for I, you. Yeah, exactly. So what I, like on that one, what I said is I'm not going to pretend to speak for the beliefs of every person in this room, but I do think we owe one another a clarification about our behavior as an organization. So I did a long thing about belief in scripture and, and these questions, but at the end of it, the clarity that I tried to offer was not. So now we all believe this because of course that's not how it works. But I, I did want to say, so going forward, we're going we're gonna to behave like this and you can expect this from us. And I've, I've tried to explain why we're going to behave that way. Mm. But I also want to make sure you know that if you disagree with me on this, our belonging to one another is not going to be predicated on agreeing on this. Because mm. I, I just think like if when you create these like, well, we as a community believe X, Y, Z, the more you kind of build that out, the more you're asking people to lie. Yeah. Because I just don't know anybody who believes the same. And, or you're asking people to only to have to leave your community in a season of evolution or change, right? R- rather than for this community to journey together, even while we are working out belief in, in life. I can't accept that it was all just a I will be right back. Do you believe in hope? Cause I am hopeless. Do you This is the benefit of not having a book to go off of. So all of the, these are just yeah. like, like if we were having, yeah, yeah, I don't know if yeah. you drink, but I'm a bourbon guy. If we were having a bourbon right now. We um, would be having a bourbon right now. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got some Elijah Craig upstairs. Come on down. Beautiful. It's, it's going to be great. One cube of ice. You put more in that and I'm going to take your drink back and I, <laughs> I will drink it. Um, no, you drink it however you want. 
So thinking through the way churches are, so like for instance, my church, I don't know how old it is. Let's say 120 years old. It's probably older. There is a lot of inherent structure. And I think for a lot of people listening, if they're pastors or if they're deacons or they're whatever other church, um, or they've just jettisoned church because they're like, yeah, absolutely not. That's not how my church was. And there's no hope for that. How do you get there when you have this already existing infrastructure tied to budgets and people got mortgages and there's a light bill and we've made commitments to this mission alliance? Like, how do you begin? Because honestly, I like the way that you're doing church. I think it could have some hard parts, um, yes, but all churches have. But yeah, I don't know how to get there from a church that someone possibly attends today. You know, like First Method, like the Methodist Church in in rural county Minnesota, or the First Baptist Church of wherever wherever Arizona. Like I'm just picking random states. Like, yeah, how yeah, do you yeah. transition from all of that legacy into something willing to question things without literally exploding it? And being like, yeah, well, we're we're either going to just shut it down, um, and sorry about that, or you know, how do you get yeah, there? Yeah. So I'll say I have a few thoughts because this comes up a lot with pastor friends. However, the, my disclaimer is, I don't want to be one of those guys who talks about things I haven't done, and I've never transitioned to community, right? So <laughs> I'm I'm about to be one of those guys because I do have some thoughts, but yeah. I want to acknowledge that yeah. it's probably easy for me from where I sit to have opinions about that. So take grain of salt. Um, first of all, I will say, I mean, we're five years old, but we already have you know, we pay, we have a lease, like we have a multi hundred thousand dollar commitment every year just to pay rent. So that happens pretty quickly. You, you start finding yourself right in a situation where um, there are layers built upon what you're creating. Um, but a, a few thoughts. First of all, I think there's one way of trying to argue for like evolution or, or change that essentially like asks people to get over their attachments to the way things are. And I think that can be really um, disrespectful and really immature. I think there's this appeal, especially for young leaders, I think, to like, they get really excited about Jesus flipping the tables and they fail to recognize how nuanced Jesus was in the ways that he worked with the law and kind of like brought people along with him to help them evolve. I also think it's important to like if people aren't familiar with things like stages of faith or spiral dynamics or other frameworks that try to understand like how individuals and communities evolve, if you're not familiar with those, I think you really ought to educate yourself on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause you're not just up against the ideas in people's heads. Spiral you're dynamics against- is easy to explain to people. <laughs> I, I've done this at the bank often yeah, and, yeah. and they'll say, no, it's not. And I'm like, yeah, well you got a maintenance fee and I'm not refunding it. And they instantly get angry. And I'm like, there nice. it is. There it was. You went from here all yes. the way down yeah. to here. And to now you're mad and you, you're irrationally angry because they just made right. that up. But there you go. There's spiral dynamics. There's a lot no, in between perfect. there. But Yeah, no, that's exactly right, right? So um, you're up against more than just the ideas in their head. So I think like to be a wise leader is to, be, um, to understand that. Um, I also think um, go like actually use the resources in your tradition to propel it forward. Don't try to override those resources. So whatever tradition it is, I think if you become a student of the tradition, you know, you're Presbyterian, you're Baptist, whatever, appeal to the roots and, and make the case for where those take you. If you let them fully grow, right? Like for us, like from the beginning, not having, you know, pre-existing roots as a community, we just, we spent the first year in the book of Acts and um, one of the cases that we, we kept asking, so what's a church? What's a church? What's a church? And we kept reading the book of Acts. And um, the argument that I made for like a year and a half over and over and over again 
is that you could say that a church is this inheritor of a tradition. So you just kind of receive it as it came to you. And your job is to stay there, right? Just hold on to those ideas, those, those conclusions. And then you kind of look at the changing world around us and you just kind of see that stuff as, you know, the soft version of this is you're like the stuff we've inherited, that's our business. And all this change happening around us, that's a distraction. So that's kind of the soft version of this. The more intense version is we inherited this stuff. We trust it. Our job is to protect it. And all this stuff changing around us is actually a threat. And so you get kind of more militantly defended against it, right? So these are different models of church that you can see in a lot of different traditions. The third thing you'd say is probably like, oh man, the stuff we've inherited, it's just so um, antiquated and unfortunate. So let's just get hip and modern and go with where things are right now. And that's to assume that the current thinking on any question is always the best thinking. But I think that completely misses the point of what faith in church is too, right? So then we turn to the book of Acts and we would argue over and over and over again, the book of Acts shows a community that's none of those three things I just described, but rather it shows a community that's like living in, in the interpretive tension between you know, the law they've inherited as Jewish believers and the spirit showing up in the life of these Gentiles, which they have no clear precedent for, but they, they got together and they worked it out together. And I think you can either say that our job is to just run with their conclusions, or you can say our job is to do what they did. Mm. And what they did is they, 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 they didn't let go of what they'd inherited, but they put it in conversation with everything happening around them. And they trusted the, the spirit might be birthing something new between those two things. Yeah. So that, that was my version of trying to like make a case for it. Not like, Oh, forget that part of the Bible, but like, no, it's in, it's there in the heart, you know? Yeah. Can I ask some sarcastic and slightly unfair Please. questions? Yeah. Yeah. So what's the only valid view of salvation? You brought it up earlier. <laughs> uh, the only valid view of salvation is one that leaves enough room for all the metaphors in scripture. <laughs> Fair enough. And how about, all right, fine, let me rephrase it. So you talked about salvation earlier. Yeah. What would you preach salvation? And, and then the inverse of that is um, hell or whatever you want to call that. What are those for you? Not, yeah. a, not as so south then. What are they for you? How about this? I would say the gospel is, um, first of all, located in the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and the gospel according to John. I think Paul also talks about the gospel, like First Corinthians 15. But I'm looking for I'm the gospel according with, to Jay, though. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I see there, like in Matthew 4, Matthew 4 says that Jesus preached the gospel. It literally says Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And I think he spends five, six, and seven describing it. My understanding of that is the Beatitudes are his big opening frame, which is God wants to give God's life to you and live God's life through you, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of anything that's happened to you. And you, this, you know, these categories, poor in spirit, those who are mourning, it's like he's saying, I, I'm, I'm imagining anything about you that might make you most convinced that you are ineligible for God to give God's life to you. I'm trying to help you understand God wants to give God's life to you and live God's life in you. So now already we're, we're in the language of grace and we're in the language of uh, union, right? Of, of union, God and us. Um, and then I think the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is all these uh, pictures of life made possible and a world made possible by that. And like right now, going through the Sermon on the Mount, we'll do baptisms on Easter. And that's like our, our big frame. And then, then I think forgiveness is sort of this essential piece that's folded into it. Because, of course, every one of us has, has lived a life that's um, in pretty radical um, re rebellion against that or rejection of that life. And so there, there has to be something worked out there about how would we understand that God has forgiven all of that. But I, but it's for me, the big frame is God wants to give God's life to you, which mm. is my way of talking about the kingdom of God Yeah. and salvation is to trust that, that gift and then to surrender to it and live in it. If you were 
not preaching that week. I'm assuming you don't preach every week, but assume you yeah. weren't preaching uh, in a few weeks from now. What is the prompt that would scare you the most for someone to ask you? Wait, if I weren't weren't preaching, yeah. So you're didn't... sitting in the crowd. Oh, nice. I come to preach, and I'm like, hey, I'm, we're gonna have a prompt. What's the one you're like? Please, God, don't ask me that. Oh, What's man. the one right now for you that you're like, oh man, you can't. Don't do ask it. me. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. Uh wow. I I I'm trying I'm trying to make sure I'm not being a uh, core. I don't know if. I guess I, I just haven't seen where questions responded to thoughtfully are ever a threat. Like I, I mean that, like I just, mm. I have this core conviction that uh, with enough graciousness and thoughtfulness, I just don't think there's anything that we should be scared of in terms of a question. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Again, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to make sure I'm not being coy about that. But. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's fair. Um, so the big question on my mind, because I watched it rip apart my church um, every two years, is what happens um, as soon as about three months from now, primaries start to get going again, um, political advertisements is all that I see and or hear. I don't even pay for cable, and it's still the only advertisement that I see. As a pastor, how do you navigate a, a, a country or a faith community in a country as politically divided as this one happens to be. Yeah, this is very real for us. Um, a couple of anecdotes just to kind of like put some flesh on it for us. Um, so first of all, you know, we, we began forming in 2016, uh, just going, you know, in the, in the fall of 2016. So we began forming in the midst of the Trump Hillary, uh, election. And I really quickly discovered this is more complicated than I realized having never been like a lead pastor before. Um, I remember the the week right our gathering right after the Access Hollywood tape came out where Trump was saying those really reprehensible things about women. I was trying to learn as a leader um, how it is that churches can be implicitly patriarchal, even if you don't mean to be. And so, you know, we would say we're egalitarian, we women and men in leadership, all that stuff. And yet I was learning that like if the women in your church have just heard one of the two people running for president speak about them in such a reprehensible and violent way. And you don't mention it. Well, that just kind of like plays into the, the, the way this becomes a patriarchal environment. Right. So that gathering, I, I, I was, I just, I said like two sentences or once I, I said, like, by the way, if you're a woman in our congregation, I just want to say, I'm really sorry that we've created a world where men can talk about you and your body. Like, like we've heard this week and to have it laughed off as locker room talk or excused. So that, that was one sentence whole gathering. And the thing that really caught me off guard is the number of emails I got from women in our church who were livid with me hmm. for taking a pro Hillary stance in a gathering. <laughs> like I didn't say anything about Hillary. <laughs> no, it's like, but that's how like, that, so that's my first like real, I was like, Oh wow, things are more charged than I thought. Right. Things are more uh, radioactive than I thought in this stuff. Right. Um, at the same time. Uh, so South Bend as a city uh, is 40% non-white. The median household income in South Bend is thirty thousand dollars a year. That's half the national average. That's a whole household living on thirty thousand a year. Mm. Um, and so, I have I have personally, uh, obviously, I'm white, and I've um, I've never had to figure out how to live in my household on thirty thousand dollars a year. And I don't even have you know a partner or kids. So um, it's been impressed upon me really painfully and clearly that like to not talk about anything political. 
is to kind of just an easy thing for privileged white Christians to do, right? Whether it's race or something else. So then we're like, okay, well, it's, it's really charged. So the first lesson was like, this stuff's radioactive. The second lesson was like, but we, we can't not talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. We can't not talk about justice or, or stuff like that. So then fast forward and things got really dicey um, going into, gosh, this is February of last year, like a month and a half before the pandemic hit. One of our, our worship pastor, he, uh, he wrote and released a song um, that was a very prophetic critique of um, Christians voting for Trump and not just voting for Trump, but uh, supporting Trump and um, released it on his own. It wasn't like a church project. But it went viral. Wait, what's the name of this song? The song's called Him for the 81%. I do know that song. Yeah. Yeah. Love that song. So it gets picked up. Uh, it gets posted on the front page of foxnews.com. <laughs> and we get implied death threats, arson threats, hundreds of emails from people who are not just mad, but who feel violent toward our community because of it. And then combine that with the fact that uh, sometime during that season, uh, Mayor Pete's campaign team had asked if they could use our space for a meeting. And we really wrestled with this, but we are, our responsibility is to have neutral policies on facility rental. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we ran it through our, we have policies and filters and we ran it through the filters and we debated it, but we ultimately felt that the most neutral stance was just to apply the policies and filters and they paid a fee. We didn't like donate the space for their use. And then the New York times writes an article about, Pete's campaign in the first sentence says on a day in whatever month, the, the entire team from Air Pete's campaign met at South Bend city church. Mm. So now I've got a it Fox News front page. Top, yeah. yeah. That has this anti-Trump song. And then I've got a New York times article tagging our church with Pete's campaign. And I just like, man, we've really stepped in it now. Right. So I, I did the thing that you always did to fix something in church. I preached a sermon about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. Preachers like to think that sermons fix everything, right? But we've, tr- we've tried to uh, differentiate between the political and the partisan. And we tried to create a definition of the political that I think helps people understand that there are political implications for following Jesus. And what we've often said is, well, what do you mean by political? If by political you mean, how do you use your power and what kind of world are we building? I think the Bible is really clear that God cares about how we use our power and what kind of world we're building. Mm -hmm. And by the way, voting is one thing that expresses our power and helps build the world. Um, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I I think that crosses a line. It's not appropriate for pulpits in the church. And I think that the church has to be really careful. I think in the progressive spaces, there can be a temptation to mirror some of the stuff I saw in conservative spaces growing up, which is to like think that the way that we're going to bring God's kingdom is if we can gain institutional power and the political structures, we start betting all of our chips on that strategy. And I think there's idolatry um, lurking everywhere there if we're not careful. So mm-hmm. I think it's really high stakes, right? Um, but I don't think because it's high stakes, we get to opt out of it. And I think playing it safe has created church spaces that have nothing to say to the real world right now. Mm-hmm. And especially has created church spaces that leave marginalized people really abandoned by their sisters and brothers who enjoy enough privilege to not understand why the world needs to get better. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that that song or that that happened with me was your church. I am familiar with that song. I had many, I don't know, 40 or 50 people 
send it to me when it released. Like, yeah. hey, you should listen. Hey, you should. I'm like, love this song. Yeah. yeah. How's your Tuesday? You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. I can't imagine having to navigate that. I know one of the lines that my pastor has said before, and he said it during the election, something about, you know, I know that you people have issues with this because you have told me. And I know that this yeah. side of the aisle has issues with this because you have told me. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know what to do with that. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but and he said, own that, right? he said, yeah. And he said something about if there is a, a place for both Peter and Paul to exist in the same Bible and they can get along. Well, obviously there were some, some big differences there. Now I'm going to need y'all to figure it out. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Li- we live here in this city and we, we kind of need to do better. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably paraphrasing um, badly the words in his mouth, but whatever. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got a hard stop. And so I, I, I normally ask the question of what should be the things that we talk about at church. Um, but that's been the entire episode. So I'm going yeah, to yeah. deflect that question. But I am curious what your answer is to this. Um, and so when you try to wrap words around what it is you mean when you say God or whatever noun you want to put there or adjective you want to put there, what is that for you? Well, what do I mean by God? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the loving mystery at the center of reality. Um, I mean, that which um, is lending being to all of this in every moment. Um, I mean, the mystery that I have met quite specifically in Jesus. Um, and I mean, a... Um, in unending generosity hmm. uh, that, that gives us all that we see and all that we are. Yeah. So in closing, where would you direct people to go to do things if they want to listen to some of your sermons, if they want to get more engaged or some resources maybe to possibly get more engaged in their local faith congregations? Like where would you direct people to go to? Yeah. Um, so on kind of what's going on here, um, you can certainly find Stop and City Church on any podcast app. I do a thing on my Instagram. Uh, so I'm Jason Adam Miller uh, everywhere, uh, although I'm only really on Instagram. I've been doing this thing called Ask a Pastor where people just submit questions and I go live on some Tuesday nights and I bring in some artist friends or some pastor friends and we just kind of talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. And it has a similar heart to what I think you're doing here. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you may not feel like you know where you could like hear somebody respond to this question, but I'll respond to it. Mm. Um, so Instagram, Jason Adam Miller, the church front, man, that's hard because we get emails like every week right now. It's like, Hey, I live in this place. Uh, is there a church that might have kind of a similar ethos and heartbeat? And the answer is, yeah, there's a lot. We're not alone, right? It's not like we're the ones coming up. Like, yeah, I don't mean to pretend that Sopping City is this unique thing that's nowhere else. But, um, if, uh, one other resource I would recommend is a guy named Mike Goldsworthy. He's terrible at branding, so forgive poor Mike. But Mike, um, we had a gathering of about 120 church leaders here in October from like West Coast to East Coast um, who all kind of like showed up with a lot of the things I've talked about today would have described why what they were trying to do in their churches. And it wasn't like a South and City Church branded conference. We, we were just hosting, but it wasn't like our thing. Mike actually was the convener. And we kind of, yeah, they just Mike rented the space and then the New York times <laughs> talked about it. Plausible deniability, man. <laughs> um, Mike is kind of the convener. We call him the Bishop. Mike's just, a, Mike's a friend that I met a couple of years ago. Mike pastored a church in Long Beach, California for 20 years. Uh, Mike's no longer pastor in a local congregation, but he has come, come alongside a bunch of us and help us find each other pastors and communities all over the country who are maybe coming from evangelical roots, but have found that either 
the politics of evangelicalism to be just something we can't affirm or have found like the theological container of evangelicalism to be too constraining for how we understand faith or there's a, there's a bunch of other stuff. But so if you follow Mike Goldsworthy, uh, he's got a podcast where he interviews church leaders, all that to say, Mike's as good as anybody I know and kind of trying to keep a pulse. He's putting cohorts together and helping pastors encourage each other. Cause a lot of us kind of feel like we're out here in a bit of a wilderness, right. Mm. Um, where there's less resources and less mutual encouragement, less funding, <laughs> Cause you're a little outside the dominant consciousness, yeah. a little outside of the mainstream. So, uh, find a way to follow Mike Goldsworthy. Uh, that's probably another encouragement. Yeah. Cool. Jay, thank you for your time this morning. My Very pleasure, much. Man. So. Yeah. Really an honor to shout out to Marinda for getting us together for being the matchmaker. Definitely. Definitely. If God has a face, her face must look like you. Now, I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, if you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor, here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you... I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon. So take a breath, breathe.